0: to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. Hello, the first Bible reading um, is different from on the screen. It's actually from Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 to 14, which is on page 882 in the Bibles in the pew. So Daniel chapter seven, verses nine to 14. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence he was given authority glory and sovereign power all peoples nations and men of every language worshipped him his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed
1: Hi everyone. Our second reading is from Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 6 to 26. If you're reading along the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1077. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth after he said this he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight as they were looking very intently up into the sky as he was going Oh, sorry. They were looking very intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to a room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled when the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take the place of his leadership. Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who has been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went out, went in and out among us. Beginning from John's baptism, to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles.
2: Uh, so uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Ben. Uh, I have just got back last night from a thing called Kick up at the Katoomba. Who's been to Kick before? A few of you guys? So basically it's this, it's this massive uh, youth convention. Um, I love youth ministry, and uh, it's uh, where I first heard the gospel back when I was up in Armidale. Um, back in year 12, and so it's something that I really enjoy doing uh, and that that I'm really passionate about. Uh, But I think at times people make the mistake of thinking that because you do youth ministry or that because you can do it for quite some time that you actually are cool. Um, And so some people, they think, oh, the kids must like Ben because he's cool. But then as soon as you speak to anybody that actually knows me reasonably well, they'll tell you that I'm not really cool at all, Uh, that I actually have a number of really nerdy hobbies uh, that, uh, that I get into, uh, and one of them, I'll share one of them today, public confession, but is, my, is family history. I'm actually one of those really nerdy people that really likes to get into his family history, that goes and does the research and, and, uh, and can do all that sort of thing. I think there's a photo about to come up. So this guy, this is my great, great, great grandfather, Edward Hayes. Um, and so, my grandma gave this, this photo. I just wanted to show that because I think he looks more like Ero and Fitzy than me with his, red, with his ginger. Um, but but uh, also, in talking to my grandma, she told me this great story um, about down in the family, there's this scandal that had happened and, and uh, if you go back a few generations into the 19th century, there was this Spanish nobleman who had left uh, his, his birthright because he'd fallen in love with a flamenco dancer and they'd had to flee across to Ireland. How cool does that sound, hey? Um, so but when I actually started doing my research, what it turns out is it was a convict from England who'd moved over here, who was about five foot two, with no Spanish ancestry at all. So the, the rumors were actually quite different from the reality. On the other hand, when I talked to my grandma about it um, about her life, she actually grew up in Richmond, but uh, she would come down and she would actually go to Erskineville uh, for um, ballet lessons. So she was actually on a scholarship with uh, the Royal Academy. Uh, so I think the next photo is my grandma, looking all ballet-like. And, and she would tell the story how er- Erka used to be the really bad part of town, uh, and so she would actually have to get off the bus, she'd tuck her purse under her arm and then she'd just run. She wouldn't even, she wouldn't even walk briskly, she'd just run to her auntie's place because it was one of the really rough areas. Um, but I'm much more likely to trust her on whether she's a ballet dancer or not. got some photographic evidence and she's a first-hand, um, experience of that, she's a first-hand witness of that, than I am to talk about the, uh, the Spanish nobleman anymore. And if I was going to testify, if I was going to say, guys, this is true, um, much as I'd love to say that I'm of Spanish noble blood, actually, I can't really say that with any confidence. What I can say is that my grandma used to dance with the Royal Academy, and that she busted her ankle and that ruined it all. But uh, there's photographic evidence uh, and she's a first-hand witness as she tells me the stories. Um, and I think that's really important. There's one more photo who you might recognise, one of the other people up there. This is me, a little bit younger, and Jess Patrick, who's a member of our congregation, a little bit younger. But uh, this is me at their, their Year 12 Bible study, their final Year 12 Bible study. Uh, and uh, we did a whole bunch of things there. It was Simon's 18th, uh, who, he just, his wife just had a baby last weekend, so it makes me feel super old. But um, if I was going to get you guys information about this event, um, you could talk to me about it, and then I'd point you to one of these other four people up there. Um, Jess is here in the congregation, so you can actually go and ask her if it happened. You can actually go and ask her what we did. We, we did a little few crazy things. In this case, we actually took this picture frame that had been donated for a prize for something that no one wanted. We broke it up into four pieces, so that we could each take a piece with us and keep forever or something random like that. Um, Another time we played a game where you end up having mouthfuls of mayonnaise, which I've got on video, which I was going to play, but I thought that would be distracting. But if I was going to get you guys to actually think about uh, what had happened in my senior high Bible study, my year 12 Bible study, um, I wouldn't be asking you to ask my sister, who has had nothing to do with it, but I'd be asking you to talk to these first-hand people who were there, and what we're going to see as we have a look at Acts is how important the first-hand witnessing was, uh, both in terms of the, uh, the apostles themselves and then the work that they then went on to do. So I'm going to pray, and then, uh, then we'll get stuck into the Bible itself. Father God, thank you for today, thank you for tonight, and thank you that we can meet together now as your people. Father, we ask that you will help us to listen and listen well to your word, that you'll help us to understand it with our minds and with our hearts, so that with the help of your Holy Spirit, we'll all be changed by it today. Father, we thank you that your word is living and active, uh, and that you use it to to shape and change us. And so we pray that for your glory and your glory alone, that will happen. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this is, like Andrew mentioned, this is our second sermon in Acts. Uh, Last week, Andrew spoke to us on chapter 1, and really we we saw that actually uh, in verses 1 or 2 there, that actually Acts is written by the same guy that wrote the Gospel of Luke. And and although at times we often call it the Acts of the Apostles, really what it is is the Acts of the risen Lord Jesus. Because you'll see that uh, in verses 1 and 2 there, please open your Bibles again to Acts chapter 1 if you've closed them, Uh, but you'll see in verses 1 and 2 there that it's what Jesus continued continued to do. Um, uh, So let me open it up too, that would be helpful. So... So it's what he, he continued to do after he rose from the dead. Um, I, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after, he gave, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. So the Acts, we actually see that the risen Lord continues to, to work and continues to work through his, his people. And we saw that we finished up last week with verse 8, so we have a couple of verses overlap, that actually the, the apostles were we're given the task to be his witnesses, Jesus' witnesses, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. And that actually was a big challenge for them, because Jerusalem made sense, Judea, maybe Samaria at a stretch, but then the idea of going to the ends of the world was actually a big thing. But then the book of Acts really takes them through that. So what we get to do is, we we with that in mind, we get to look at what happens next. Now I love the Bible, I love when you get these real pictures of what it would be like. To be there, And I reckon uh, the verses 9 to 11 there are like that. So Jesus has just said these things and then after that he gets taken up before their very eyes. Uh, so we call this the Ascension. It happened 40 days after uh, Jesus rose, rose from the dead. And so that's in I think four 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 and a half weeks time is, this, is Ascension Thursday. Uh, and so you, you know, the disciples, they're there and they watch him. They just watch him go. I, I imagine it's like a, you know, when you let go of a, hot, a helium balloon... And you're just like, how long can we watch it for? And it'd be just like, they're all just standing there going, he's still going. How high can he go? When's it going to stop? And eventually goes into the clouds, and they're still just like, huh. Yep. And then all of a sudden, you've got the two guys in white who uh, seem to be the same guys that were at the resurrection, and they're, they're all of a sudden sort of like standing behind the disciples. And they're like, guys, what are you doing? What? They're like, Jesus is gone. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? I mean, it sort of seems like a fair comment, doesn't it? You've just seen Jesus ascend into heaven. I think I'd be standing there staring into the sky for a little while as well. But he's saying, why, they're saying, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go to heaven. Jesus just told the disciples, he's been like, guys, go to Jerusalem and wait. Don't worry about times and don't worry about when the kingdom's coming back. I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait and then I'm going to pour the spirit out on you. The angel's are saying, why are you waiting there? Why are you staring into the sky? Because actually you've got a task to do. Jesus has actually commissioned you to go and be his witnesses. So get to it. And so we see that this, the ascension happens. If you, if you haven't spent much time on the ascension, because I think often we, we can skip it out a bit. You know, We go, life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, then I would encourage you to actually spend some time thinking about it. There's a whole different um, bits of the Bible that talk about it. Uh, In Hebrews and in John, Jesus talks a bit about it and stuff like that. So go away and actually think, well, why is the ascension a big deal? What's it actually mean? Um, Luke here, he tells us that in this case, he wants to make the point from the ascension that Jesus has gone up to heaven, and that means that we know he's going to come back down from heaven. So we serve a risen Lord, a living Lord, who is going to come back. He's going to come back uh, the way that he went uh, in terms of he's going to come down. But then you look at the pictures of that. Um, Daniel, Daniel 7 gave us a little bit of a taste of that. But you look at some of the other And it's, When he comes back, he's going to come back, though. It's not, it's not like he's going to come back and there'll be his little group band of followers waiting, being like, I think he's going to come down here. Is it here? Is it not? When he comes back, he's going to come back and the whole world's going to know about it. He's going to come back with a whole bunch of other uh, angels and and people and stuff like that. So Jesus is actually going to return. And that's what the ascension tells us. And so what we see then is that the disciples, the the apostles, they actually listen to what Jesus has said. And then we see that they go and then they, they go back to Jerusalem. So they obey Jesus. They go to Jerusalem. You see that in verse 12. Uh, and then when they arrive, they go upstairs and there's a whole crew of them together. You've got the, the apostles, um, the women, uh, and Mary, who, who are really great at, at backing Jesus up all the way along. And then his brothers too. And it's cool, because remember, in the middle of the Gospels, uh, Mary and the brothers, they were like, Jesus is crazy, let's get him out of here. And yet now they're, they're actually believers. And they've actually joined with the apostles in being Jesus' followers. And so they've obeyed Jesus in going back. And you see how they respond? They all get together. And what do they do? They join together constantly in prayer. These guys know that Jesus uh, has sent them there to wait for the Holy Spirit. And their response to that is to talk to God about it. Is to join together in praying to God about it. It shows that they realize that, that their mission that they've been sent on to be these witnesses is going to be undergirded by God himself. And so we need to show, they need to show this complete dependence on God. So they're there praying, and then while they're doing that, you see Peter stands up among the believers. And he says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas. So Peter stands up and he goes, Guys, we've got to have a bit of a chat about something. And then he actually talks... He looks at a couple of bits of Scripture, one to do with Judas himself and one to do with replacing Judas. And um, um, Peter, all of a sudden, Peter gets it. I don't know if you guys, if you've read the Gospels, Peter often doesn't get it. He's the guy that always puts his hand up real quick to answer, and that's probably about a 50-50 strike, right? Um, But now he actually, he gets it. He can actually point out some Scripture from, from the Psalms and be like, guys, this is what it means. And so it just shows you... Jesus has been investing pretty heavily. We see he spent 40 days talking to them about the kingdom of God um, in between his resurrection and ascension. And on the road to Emmaus, you know that he was, he was opening up the Old Testament to them to help them to understand what it means. And we see here that, Jesus, uh, oh, sorry, that Peter talks about um, Judas and then his replacement. So uh, I reckon this next section about Judas is another one of those very visual sections. Um, I really like the ascension. I think that's great. And now this is sort of like the more gory section. And with the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field, there he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. It's just like a B-grade horror movie, isn't it? You know, he actually crashes the ground and all of his intestines. Um, and you see, I think Luke wants it to be really graphic, because it is really graphic. This guy's betrayed Jesus, and now he's dead. And it's a messy death. Um, it's worth uh, thinking through and you feel free to come and talk to me afterwards about it Uh, they don't seem to match up necessarily the account in Matthew with this account Um, so have a read and then come and have a chat to me about it but here we have Luke saying what happened, he's burst open his field is known as the field of blood because of uh, of what happened with Judas there and um, Peter says that comes from Psalms may his place be deserted let there be no one to dwell in it so it was like the, the creepy sort of haunted place of Jerusalem where they thought it was unclean and so they'd have nothing to do with it. But then Peter also realises, may another take his place of leadership, he quotes it. That actually, the, the 12 uh, is, is um, an important number and it seems that, that there actually has to be 12 of the apostles and so he says, we've got to get another guy in there. Um, and so have a look at how he does it because I think this is, once again, a really, a really great insight into the priorities of the apostle of the apostles that they've received from Jesus himself. So, um, therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who has been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of them must become a witness with us of his resurrection. You see what Peter really says is really important, is if we're going to replace Judas, we need someone that's been there the whole time right from the baptisms of John all the way through to seeing Jesus as the resurrected Lord. Because if these guys are going to go out witnessing, going to go out testifying to the ends of the earth, then they're going to be testifying to, to the resurrection, to Jesus' life, to Jesus' death, and to Jesus' ascension. They have to have seen it. They have this special role to be these special witnesses that they have to go out. So they they narrow it down, they get their short list of two, two candidates. Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also known as Justice, and Matthias. So they've narrowed it down to two. Then, Then what do they do next? They pray again. They realize that this is God ultimately who will make this decision. It's ultimately, it's Jesus' replacement. And so they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry which Jesus left to go where he belongs. So Lord there, it seems like he, they're probably praying to Jesus. Um, Luke's referred to Jesus as Lord. Uh, they've referred to Jesus as Lord up at the start of the chapter when they've asked um, Jesus about uh, the kingdom. And they say, you've got to ultimately choose this. This man, this man is going to be your man. He's going to be your witness. So we want you to do it. And then they do this thing which seems sort of weird for us, I reckon, uh, is they cast lots uh, and the lot fell to Matthias. Now, we generally don't do that much anymore. We're like, what am I going to do today? Should I go to class or shouldn't I? All right, one to six, I'm not going to class. Oh, it's a six, I'm not going to class. No, we, we don't cast lots much today. But actually, in the Old Testament, it was one of the ways that they would actually work out what God's will was. And so they, um, they would say that God had control of all of that. And so if we cast lots, then God would show his decision in his sovereignty, in his... Um, in his ability to control the dice even, and um, the lots. But it's interesting too that this seems to be the last time we know of that they use this. Um, so they make a lot of other decisions as Acts goes on, um, but they don't seem to, to cast lots each time. Uh, and it's also sort of the last event before the Holy Spirit comes, um, which they may, may be related there. But so we see there that the apostles, that they've gone through this process and then Matthias is the winner, and so he gets added to the 12 apostles. So they've responded with obedience, they've responded with prayer, and they've responded by listening to the scriptures, listening to God, with the goal of those three things to fulfill their their, their commission to witness uh, and witness accurately to the ends of the earth. Well, what does that mean for us? Uh, We're not the apostles. I'm not a first-hand witness to the, to the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And so it's a different thing that they've been commissioned with. It's different, but then it's similar, because we actually become an extension of that. And you'll see these guys, they are motivated by Jesus' commands, and they were motivated by the fact that Jesus has just gone up to heaven, and that he's coming back. And so they do these things. They are the first-hand witnesses, so they go out, Uh, and all of them end up being martyred, end up being killed for their faith, except for John, who gets exiled uh, to some little random island called Patmos. So they've gone out, and they actually reached the ends of the earth symbolically in Acts. But then if we look around, uh, I think we can see we we haven't done it yet. There's still um, people that haven't heard about Jesus, whether it's uh, our random friend at work from our skit, uh, or, or the hill tribes, we've got some friends that are Mishos in these hill tribes in, in Papua New Guinea, there's still people that need to hear about Jesus. So how can we do that? Well, we can do that because we actually are blessed with God's word, which is an account of these first-hand witnesses, which is the account of them of their testimony about what they saw and what they did and what they saw Jesus do and what he said. So actually, it should give us confidence to be able to, to go, all right, I'm on board. I'm actually part of this mission. I'm part of this witnessing because I'm testifying as to what the first-hand witnesses testified. Um, when I was talking about my grandma before, I can testify that, that, that about my grandma being a ballet dancer, not because I ever saw her ballet dance because she was, like, old and couldn't do it anymore when I knew her. We'll still know her. Um, but, you know, I, I can testify that I've heard firsthand from her that she did it, and that I've seen some evidence that she did it, so I actually can have confidence in saying that. Uh, and so when we look at these things, I think it's easy for us to go, yes, pray more, yes, read the Bible more, yes, obey Jesus more. Uh, and they're sort of cliché, but then they're clichéd for a reason, because it's actually true. I think the challenge from this, this passage is really, why do we do that? Do do we actually believe that that Jesus ascended into heaven? And because if we believe he did, then we should be believing that he's coming back. Do we believe that we are an extension of the apostolic witness through God's word? That we actually have the truth and that we can share the truth with the people around us? So I want to encourage us, um, I was really challenged to think through it as well, is do we trust these witnesses, first of all, in theory? So maybe there's people here and they're like, look, I don't really know if I even believe it, that they're telling the truth. Well, if that's true, I'd encourage you to check it out and actually do some hard work at actually thinking through the historicity of the Bible. Um, that for me, before I became a Christian, was one of the biggest, the biggest things I had wrong in my head. And um, when I actually looked into it, I found out I was really wrong. Because um, I just went off what, what different websites had said. And so I would swing to my cabinet leader, I still remember. Yeah, well, wasn't Matthew written for a different audience anyway and so we, we don't have to listen to any of it because it was written in like Latin? And he's like, no. Like, hmm. oh, okay. So then I actually went away and looked into it. Oh, surprise, surprise, it wasn't, never, it wasn't written originally in Latin. And um, you can actually look at, at how accurate it is. If you're a little bit of a history buff, which I was in high school, and oh, there's another nerdy hobby, um, then you actually can see how accurate the Bible is in terms of the, just the transmission of it and all that sort of stuff. So, anyway, I'd encourage you really to have a think about that if that's something that you're not sure about. Uh, second of all, if you do agree in theory that it's, that it's true and that we can trust these witnesses, I want to encourage you to think through how does that match up in practice? Because we can have a theory, a theoretical trust, but until we start putting that into practice, uh, what is it saying? You know, And these guys, I think, they give us some great pictures and in, in insights into what it, that for them it meant to believe it. It meant that they listened to what Jesus had said, they prayed constantly about it, and they listened to the scriptures. And see, so then, then from then on, And we'll see next week, they get the Holy Spirit and then just bang, out they go. And they start telling people about Jesus because they know it's true. So do we trust it in theory? Do we trust it in practice? And then how do we respond to it? Like I said, uh, I think there's some big differences between my Spanish noble blood and my grandmother ballet dancer and my senior high Bible study. On the one hand, you have the myth and legend which I would never stake my life on. Um, I would probably never say even semi-confidently now that I've actually done the research and found out it's not true. But these other two, one, I can, I've got a first-hand witness I can trust, and secondly, I am the first-hand witness. And so this sort of witnessing we can trust. We can actually have confidence in it. And this is what God's words in, this side. It's not this myth-legend stuff. It's the truth. So I want to pray just to finish up. But um, if you've got any questions, please come and grab me afterwards. But also just yeah, spend some time thinking through uh, what it means for you uh, to do this in practice. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is reliable. And thank you that you've blessed us uh, with the accounts of the first-hand witnesses of Jesus. Thank you that the message of the apostles was passed on uh, through reliable men and women over the ages uh, to be received by us today. Uh, thank you that we can have confidence in it. Lord, please help us to, to think through and, and pray through uh, where we are uh, in theory or in practice. Uh, Lord, if, if we're not sure about what we think about God's word, help us to be able to, to do a bit of work around that uh, and help us to see the truth. And Lord, if we do agree in theory, then please help us to, with the help of your Holy Spirit, put it into practice uh, in our lives, our daily lives, uh, so that we can share the love of God and the love of Jesus with the people around us. Thank you that... You do work still, and you still work through people like us. Uh, We pray that you will continue to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.